Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. For the past year, the pandemic has dominated the efforts of all health services in Northumberland. The hospital is a cornerstone in providing services, but it has also been a leader throughout. Its partnerships with various agencies and institutions through the Ontario Health Team, the Health Unit, and others is a driving force in the county. Like so many other changes, this year's annual general meeting was held virtually. But this does not take away from the significance of the report and what it means going forward. Here is my interview with the chair of the board, Pam Went. I'm so pleased to have with me today Pam Went who is now serving her third year as chair of the board for the Northumberland Hills Hospital. Welcome to Consider This. Thank you, Rob. It's great to be here. You just had your annual meeting last week for the hospital. To what extent did the pandemic dominate the hospital's agenda over the past year? I would um, I say it didn't really... It was more the backdrop of everything. It was, uh, everything was in the context of um, the pandemic, but the hospital and the board um, attempted to, and I think quite successfully, run the hospital, operate the hospital, govern the hospital as we always have. So it, it I like to say that I'm so proud that at, at no time did anyone on the senior team or uh, say to the board, well, we can't do that because of the pandemic. The pandemic was never used as an excuse for not striving to, uh, to attain all of the goals that um, you know, were set up in the strategic plan. So as I say, it, it influenced, but it was, not, it was not a big downer for us. Why is it important to frame the year in that way? I mean, all things being what they were, it would seem to me that it would be the, the major thing that was going on. Everything would seem to revolve around it. Why is it so important to you to frame it that it really didn't impact in the way that people might think? I think it's a reflection of the, the attitude of the, the employees, the doctors, the board members, the volunteers um, at the hospital, that we weren't going to let that detract us from what needed to be done in order to provide exceptional care, in order to, in case of the foundation, raise money. Um, and I, I, I believe, and again, it's just my observation, that that attitude is what enabled um, everyone to carry on well beyond what we thought would be the end of the pandemic. Um, I think, too, if I can just go a little bit further with that, having that attitude enabled a great deal of innovation and creativity. 
in the organization, not just to solve problems associated with the pandemic, but to look for the opportunities that the pandemic presented. I'm a firm believer that crises always offer opportunities and, and you can use the crises as an excuse or you can use it as a way to improve things. And, and I could give you a couple of examples of what the hospital did, but um, I, I'm, I believe that, there, that, that that was a major um, influence um, enabler for successfully getting through a, a crisis. Well, I'll take you up on your offer. How about giving us a couple of examples? Okay, so you're, I'm sure you've heard of telemedicine and the Ontario Telemedicine Network, and that has been very helpful for us as a uh, hospital outside of the GTA to have access to specialists. And, uh, and we've been using it for many years at the hospital. With the pandemic, the, this, the uh, medical professionals in the hospital approached specialists in areas that we did not use the OTN for and asked if they would be interested in, in um, doing telemedicine with us. And as a result of that, uh, we were, and I say we, the hospital, um, the chief of staff was able to engage two neurologists to participate with our hospital on, uh, in telemed telemedicine. The impact of that was that patients who in our community that might've had to wait months and months and even a year to have an initial consultation with a neuro neurologist, we're getting those consultations in two weeks. There must've been some challenges though. What has the hospital struggled with over the past year? Again, I wouldn't use the word struggle. I would say adapted. Um, I, our board, again, I'm very proud of them. Uh, adapted very well to governing in a virtual environment and to governing in, in what you might call disruptive times. Um, our board has always been a high functioning board built on a great deal of trust and respect for each other. And that, um, that enabled us to, to work in a different manner. So we had to adjust to having our meetings on Zoom instead of uh, pers person to person, face to face. We also had to adjust to not having um, the traditional board meetings. We, we had to um, be ready to, to meet with staff, meet with the senior team at any time, uh, again, over Zoom when there were uh, issues that we needed to deal with. But again, um, I think we did a really good job of it um, because we work so well together anyway. The, the one challenge, um, and I wouldn't say challenge so much as just uh, what did we miss? What did we miss the most? And, and um, I sat down with each of uh, the board members and the community members of our board in, uh, in January of this year, after we had been in pandemic mode for you know, nine months and um, asked them how we were doing, how, you know, how were we working together? Were there any issues and what did they miss what were what would we what were we missing the most and and the thing that was being that everyone was missing was the opportunity to have conversations. Um, Zoom does not allow or does not really lend itself to conversations or discussions of more esoteric issues. I mean, and 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 people missed that. And um, so what we did 
is we introduced what we call it, we call them general generative discussions, but what they were were um, Zoom calls, but where the topic was not necessarily about the pandemic or the operation of the hospital. It was more about how we operated as the board. So um, as an example, we, we had uh, a discussion around how we recruit for the board and how we, how we have a succession plan for the board and what we needed to do differently in, in light of things like diversity and inclusion. And that was, um, so we used that as a, as a, a way to still have that, those conversations um, and personal contacts. And, and I think, well, again, we did a survey and, and that was deemed to be quite successful. Um, we all want to get back to the board table. We all want to share a cup of coffee, but in the meantime, we have our board meetings with agenda items that we deal with um, as effectively as we possibly can in a virtual environment. And then we're having these conversations in a different, uh, on a different night and um, getting um, almost all people attending and um, they've been deemed as not perfect, but a good way to maintain that camaraderie, if you will, um, that sharing of ideas uh, that we value so much. The hospital had a surplus again this year. How much was it? Um, three point, I'm gonna look it up because I don't wanna make um, three point something million, just over $3 million. Why was there a, a surplus? How, how does that work uh, in the hospital? Well, um, any good business should have a, a surplus um, in, to, to be prepared for the unexpected. And we were not able to do that for many years. Um, but if, I guess now I'm thinking two or three years ago, and again, Linda would give you better, uh, a better answer in terms of timing. Um, we were recognized, uh, the government Ministry of Health did recognize that, that we were underfunded as a hospital and took steps to, to improve that situation so that we were on a level playing field with other hospitals that were being uh, funded adequately. And with that as a base, uh, the natural uh, efficiency of our organization that has been recognized uh, in the past by uh, consultants and so on that have had a look at it, kicked in and, and allowed us to develop that surplus. We did receive um, extra revenue from uh, the government for COVID-19 and put that on top of the efficiencies the team was able to, uh, to, to materialize, we ended up with that surplus. And that's our second year. Last year, we had a surplus as well. Where does that money go? Well, uh, some of it we put aside into um, uh, a special account for uh, capital expenditures that we uh, otherwise might have to go to the bank for. For example, uh, the hospital needs a new roof. And uh, so uh, some of it might go there. We're also introducing a clinical information system this winter in December, uh, which the foundation and the auxiliary are raising money for. But we also will have some, we could use some of the surplus for that as well. And then of course we have to be prepared for the unexpected. Um, all year last year, we had more beds occupied than, than, we, than we say as capacity. We ran over 100% occupancy. So again, you want a surplus to be able to, to uh, 
to deal with that. And it's not just the physical bed, it's all of the support systems around having those additional patients in the hospital. So um, that's, again, any good business wants to carry a certain number of months worth of, of uh, revenue in order to prepare, be prepared for um, the expenses that we, we may foresee, we may not foresee, um, and uh, unexpected capital requirements. Is any of the money going to be used to hire more nurses or doctors or uh, other staff? Well, when I say um, pay for beds, that's what I'm talking about. If you have people in beds, you have to have the staff to support them, whether it's um, the people who clean the room, the people who take care of the patient. Um, you know, of course, with COVID, there's an additional uh, disinfecting that's going on. So yes, um, when I say we have more beds, we have that means we have to have the people to support them. In your report in the, to the uh, annual general meeting, you talked about cementing partnerships. Can you tell us with whom you've cemented these partnerships with? Yes, I, again, um, taking advantage of, of a crisis to, uh, to do new and innovative things or creative things or form new partnerships we already had established a strong partnership with community, other community health providers uh, through the Ontario Health Team of Northumberland, which um, uh, Northumberland Hills, uh, sorry, Northumberland County was one of the first um, OHTs. And the COVID-19 situation was an excellent test of how strong that partnership was. So a group of, of, of healthcare providers in our county got together, formed the Ontario Health Team and, and decided on some projects that they could do together. Then COVID-19 happened. And immediately all of those partners focused on what do we need to do to help the hospital? And it, it was things like, sharing PPE, sending excess PPE to the hospital, um, saying, what can we do? How do we, you know, uh, how do we help the hospital? So that's one, that's one partnership that was already very strong, but definitely became more cemented. Um, then another example of that partnership, and you've got to remember too, the Ontario Health Team includes the county, which is very, actually, I believe, not common in some of the Ontario health teams, but the, the Northumberland County is a member of that team. When um, it became possible to get um, vaccinations for the 80 and over uh, age group, and the provincial book booking site was not um, up and running, Coburg Rotary took it on to, to create a mass vaccination site where those doses could be administered to 80 plus 80 and over people in Northumberland County. And the partnership there was uh, a new one. It was Rotary and the Ontario Health Team. And through the Ontario Health Team, we had uh, one organization that uh, called every person that was 80 and over to, to, to make an appointment. Through Rotary, they actually built the Mass Vaccination Center, and I, I hope you've seen it at um, the CCC. Again, just unbelievable um, achievement there. And then uh, recruited the volunteers. Um, early on, the hospital bought a freezer 
so that if we got the Pfizer vaccine, we'd have the freezer. And again, that was available. So there's another example of how uh, a partnership that had not existed before came together, was cemented, and I expect that we'll see even more um, partnerships like that in this county because they set such a, uh, an excellent example of how people can focus on a problem and, um, and address it. It seems to me that these partnerships that you have, though, uh, they certainly strengthen a lot of aspects of, of health care in our community. But then there are other groups that are, are being left out. For example, uh, we've discovered just in the past week that the Northumberland Community Counseling Center is going to be closing because it's struggling. And, you know, I think we can all say that that's going to be a, a great loss for mental health services in the community. Is the hospital doing anything to strengthen these groups uh, beyond the, the health team and reaching out to ensure that because of the pandemic and because of these groups struggling are, are going to uh, be able to survive? I, again, I would um, engage Linda Davis in that question because it's more of an operational question. Um, our community mental health services, uh, the hospital's community health team, um, I know in the past has has worked with the, the Northumberland Community Counseling Center, but I don't know um, what's happened with that. I, I would defer to Linda um, and, and possibly Jennifer Cox, who's the manager of mental health services. Um, it is certainly in the whole area of mental health and, and well-being has certainly become uh, front and center for us during the pandemic and things ha are in place, things are happening. I'm just not the expert on it and would ask that you, that Jennifer could defer that to, um, to Linda and Jennifer for a response. All right, you've mentioned uh, uh, already a bit about the telehealth, um, but to what extent has virtual medicine become a staple in a, a hospital's care plan? And is this going to continue and to, to what level? Well, I, I, the board and the hospital would very much like uh, virtual medicine to become one of the, uh, the pillars of, of healthcare delivery in our county. Again, one of the generative discussions that we had as a board was with our chief of staff and um, our chief uh, information officer and our chief clinical information officer around the area of virtual health. And uh, again, that was very interesting. And it was probably, the, it would be the first of, I'm sure many conversations we're going to have about it. It, it is a way to ensure, or it, it is one way to ensure health equity so that the patients in our area have access to the same care as they would if they traveled to Toronto. We've always had as our objective, the best possible care close to home. So if we cannot provide it, if we cannot support those specialties, we can get access to them virtually. And I think that the, the example of the neurology uh, and the neurologist that I mentioned earlier is, is just an example. We will, we will have, I believe, specialists calling us to, to get access to that as well. I, I truly believe that, um, you know, um, one, one, another one that, um, another area that is being pursued um, actively is with the hospital for sick children. So that if we have a child in crisis, a baby in crisis, a birth, um, being able to have the specialist uh, from sick kids um, 
with our hospital is 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 fantastic and and that's another one so areas that we cannot support or that our our uh, citizens the members of our community would have to travel for those are the ones we want to we want to get at and um mental health is another one you meant you talked about that and and um, we can do um use the OTN to connect with specialists at Ontario Shores to help with mental health issues uh, within patients. So um, I, I would also mention, and again, if you wanna talk about virtual medicine, I would really encourage you to have this a conversation with Dr. Mukesh Bhargava, our chief of staff, because it's, it's very much type, top of mind with his. Um, or uh, there's other members in the hospital as well, but he's been really leading it. And, and he is suggesting that care, there will be several models of care. Um, one will be in person, one will be virtual, and then there'll be a hybrid of virtual and in-person in care. So depending on the condition uh, and the requirements to provide that exceptional patient care, there will be the hybrid model. And that's something that's also very exciting. And uh, it, it's, I think being, um, it's being instigated because of, of the pandemic, but it will become, um, well, we'll see how it, how it unfolds, but that, that's going to come as well. The current president and CEO, Linda Davis, is leaving in a month. Can you describe the reaction of the board as she sat through her last annual meeting? Well, um, we weren't ready to say goodbye, and I think, uh, Neither is Linda. I mean, she's still actively in her job as the CEO for the rest of this month. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll transitioning to our new CEO. Um, Linda guided this hospital uh, for over seven years. And when she, when she arrived, um, we did have issues. I mentioned earlier about having, um, that, that our funding model was perhaps not the, the right one. And through her leadership, her advocacy with um, the, the Ministry of Health, that was fixed. And, um, and, and we are now in good stead financially and on that level playing field that we needed to be. She was also faced not long after she joined us um, with uh, an imposed hospital improvement plan that came to us from the Lynn. And she managed to, to guide our ship through that as well and come out the other side with um, learnings. Uh, certainly there, there were a few things that could be done, but we also found out through that process from the consultants that our hospital was very efficient and very well run. And there really weren't a lot of opportunities for us to find savings. And that really our issue was the funding model that we were under. Um, she, she obviously has been here through COVID and um, again, unprecedented, nobody knew what to do. She has guided our organization and our community through it. And when I say that, um, you know, there was a, that the board adapted well to virtual governing, our hospital adapted well to working in a pandemic because of her leadership. There was an official announcement for her replacement, uh, Susan Walsh. Yes. And I noticed that Walsh has many similarities in her background to Davis. They're both registered nurses who trained in management. Was this deliberate decision by the board? We, um, when Linda announced her retirement at uh, the beginning of the year, we formed uh, a CEO recruitment committee with six board members, 
three doctors and a member of the senior management team. We engaged in an executive search firm to help us find the right candidate. We took great pains to develop um, a description of what we were looking for. And I was very pleased that we had a very high level of interest expressed from the medical community around the province. Um, and we were, we had uh, uh, not only several expressions of interest or quite a few expressions of interest, but we were able to uh, uh, interview a fair number of people. Not surprisingly, our hospital has a great reputation in the, the hospital community in Ontario. And that reputation plus our community uh, and we spent, we also included that in the, the briefing of what, what our community was like, but a lot of people knew about the Northumberland County community. They, they, uh, they attracted some very good talent. And we interviewed uh, quite a few, including Susan. And um, at the end of the day, the committee unanimously recommended her appointment to the board and the board unanimously approved that appointment. She, has, is already working for the hospital, is that correct, it, it, in another position. Can you describe, for people who may not be familiar with this, what her position was uh, prior to being a, a made CEO and president? Her, and her appointment's effective August 3rd, so again, right now, she's still uh, in her current position. So Susan is the chief nursing executive for our hospital, so in charge of all of the nurses. She's also the vice president of patient services and she's our chief clinical information officer um, and really the point person for the implementation of the clinical information system that we're going to uh, introduce on in December. Now, some might argue that it's better to hire people from outside an organization to bring new ideas and fresh, fresh approaches. Can you tell us uh, who she is and why you decided to hire from within the organization as a board? Susan has been with us um, since 2017. And prior to that, she worked in both acute care hospitals and in community care organizations. So she does bring a lot of outside experience um, from, from a big city, from Toronto primarily. So she does have that perspective. Um, she also has uh, an MBA. So she has, uh, she's bringing, again, if you think of an outside area of skill, um, she's bringing that to us as well. So she was, um, when we looked at what we were expecting in terms of experience and education, she was just as experienced as everyone that we looked at. And we put a lot of stake on culture. We wanted to make sure that whoever came in as the CEO would be a good fit for our values and the culture of our organization and of our community. And Susan came out, um, obviously she had an advantage of having been here. She lives in Port Hope, has been there since she, since she joined the hospital in 2017. She knows the community. And um, my own observation of Susan is that she's one of the individuals that's responsible for the culture that we have in our hospital today. And when I'm talking about culture, I'm talking about um, patient care, quality and safety, family-centered care, um, being innovative, looking for new ways of doing things, 
being unafraid of trying new things, being decisive. So then when, when um, the executive search firm that we used, talk, they talked about risk. And they said, you know, if you, the risk if you bring in somebody from outside is they don't know your culture and they have to get up to speed quickly and, and will they or will they not fit? If, if you have hire someone from within, then the risk is, that is not the risk, you have that, but um, you, you, you possibly have a risk of not getting that outside influence or those, those outside experience. But as I said, because of Susan's background, we felt that she had the outside experience working in a big city, working in other types of organization in larger hospital and also with um, community care uh, services, which is another area of partnership for us that, uh, that we look forward to strengthening with her leadership. I'd like to go back to the annual report for the past year and, and talk to you a little bit about the stats. Um, the hospital saw a reduction in much of the demands for services, although it was only slight. Obviously, the pandemic played a key role in this, but emergency services were down by about 3,000 visits. But there were a couple of areas that were where it increased in dialysis and chemotherapy. So two things stuck out in my mind, in, and that is first, there were more than 30,000 people that visited the COVID-19 assessment center. Can you give us some idea of just how busy the assessment center was over the past year and how that was significant? As an observation, we had to open a second assessment center. So that would be an indication of just how busy it was. Um, and I'm trying to think of, I, I know that it was 30,000, but um, we started out initially with the assessment center inside the hospital um, and then realized that it, we needed more space. Then we got a trailer and uh, a lot of traffic there. And then again, with a, another partnership that was, a, was cemented was with the town of Port Hope. They provided space, space in, in Canton, the municipal center there for another assessment center. Another, also an example of a, a partnership associated with the assessment center was with the paramedics, who obviously are already in a partnership in terms of bringing patients to the hospital and taking patients to other hospitals. But we, um, again, I can't remember the number, I know I've heard it, but it was in the thousands of the, the uh, tests that were actually done by the paramedics at the assessment center. So they came, they, they were able to bolster the numbers there too. So um, I don't know whether there's any statistics that say, you know, that was a lot of visits for a community our size. Um, but I think that having the center in Canton, I, I know we did receive a lot of positive feedback for that, that people who couldn't get down into Coburg were very happy to have something up in the rural area of the county. And the fact that it was more convenient could be a testament as well to why the numbers were high, um, the hours of operation, the days of operation, and then the locations of the centers. Um, the demand has gone down significantly, and that, of course, is we're seeing across the province. And so uh, the center in Canton will no longer be required. I'd like to go back for a minute and talk some more about mental health, because I'm looking at the statistics. It was rather surprising that the number of mental health visits actually dropped. But there has been an incredible amount of talk about the anxiety, the stress, the depression that have been associated with the pandemic. I'm wondering from the board's perspective as to what type of investment is, are you preparing to make uh, for mental health services, 
especially in light of what could be a, a delayed reaction to uh, the stresses and strains of the past uh, year and a half with the pandemic? Part of the issue in terms of visits was that uh, we couldn't do face-to-face -face visits. And for many patients, that is the most effective means of, of counseling. Um, and so I know that Jennifer and her team looked for new and innovative ways of um, of being able to communicate with patients, but but that I, was I appreciate that very very much. But what I'm talking about is going forward and making investments, and that's really the the purview of the board as much as anybody. Um, are are you? Is this part of your agenda? Are you talking about investing in in mental health services as we go forward? As I said, you know, we we could be facing a sort of a delayed blip in in the need for these services as we start to come out of the pandemic. So provision of the mental health services is part of the hospital operation. And we would expect that the uh, senior management team would present us with a, a plan for investment if additional investment was required. So um, at this point in time, I'm not, I've not been given that, but I would agree with you that, um, you know, and I know, I know that our team is aware of that, not just that possibility, that probability and will, I'm sure, have a good plan. Um, I know that, that we are attracting more and more um, professionals to our community, either through, again, uh, the Ontario Telemedicine Network uh, on a virtual basis, or actually some of them even talking about moving here. So part of our approach is to attract um, the medical professionals that, that we need to deal with, not just the outpatient situations that we have through the medical, our community mental health system, but also inpatient. So that's, I know there's an active recruitment uh, going on um, to see if we can provide some of those services. But again, I'm sure that we will be given um, a proposal to bless in terms of funding for that. Moving on to the uh, Hospital Foundation capital campaign, there was a recent announcement that Hank Vandermeer was appointed as the uh, capital campaign chair. From the board's perspective, how significant is that? And uh, how would those of us who are in the community, uh, how should we be thinking about that in terms of its significance? The, the fact that it was Hank? Yes. Well, I think, again, yeah, you probably read uh, some of his comments on it. Uh, Hank's family is uh, well-established in the community and they have a strong sense of giving back. Um, this capital campaign, and again, it's being overseen by the foundation board, not the hospital board. So um, I'm aware of it because I'm on the, the campaign planning committee and I will be on the campaign cabinet. Um, this is the largest capital campaign in Northumberland County's history, not just the hospital. Um, and to have someone of Hank's uh, position in the community is, is very significant. We, we believe it is sending a strong message to the community. Um, two weeks ago, and I'm, I'm losing, it might be two weeks ago, but the, uh, the campaign had, did approach the, the county of Northumberland to, to be part of it. Um, 
And again, we've never done that before. The foundation has never gone to the county and asked for money. I think when you have a campaign this big, this significant, you need someone of Hank's stature and it's also an, a long campaign. It's not just one year. It's going to be several years, four years, five years, I think. Um, we've already finished one year, so four more years. And, um, and I believe that Hank has said he will, he will be with us the whole way, which is also very significant because it is a huge job um, of being the face of the campaign, visiting donors, making asks, um, keeping a campaign cabinet together. It, it's a huge job. And I, I know that as a member of the campaign committee and as chair of the board of the hospital, I was, I was thrilled that he would agree to do it. Just for people who may not know what the capital campaign is for, um, could you just quickly tell us, uh, explain what the money raised is going to go sure. towards? So um, every year the foundation raises money for, for, for capital. Um, the government of Ontario does not give us money, does not provide money for equipment. Um, and I say occasionally there's some, but, but certainly things like MRI, CT scans, if we need new ones, which we do, um, the hospital's equipment is getting older. It's hard to believe the hospital's opened in 2003 and we have a lot of equipment from then. It needs to, it's, it's reached the end of its life. So um, there's an MRI, we need new MRI, new CT scanner, that's part of this campaign. I mentioned earlier a clinical information system, which um, we're in a partnership with uh, uh, other, actually there's a total of 14 hospitals going at the same time. Um, onto the system and what it will do is enable uh, patients information to, to be available uh, when they go to one of those other hospitals, their information will go with them. Uh, the information can be shared with their family doctor and they will have their access to their own information. It, it's, it's a huge system and it's a huge investment being shared among um, uh, the, the other seven partners. And uh, so part of what we're, we're raising the money for the, in the capital campaign is to pay for uh, the, the hospital's portion of that investment. And then there is, of course, ongoing uh, requirements for scopes, for beds. Uh, every year, it's a couple of million dollars. So again, in that, that huge envelope called the capital campaign is also that ongoing annual requirement for capital to renew equipment. There's been talk over the past few years about trying to get a new facility adjacent to the hospital on the vacant lands to the east. Uh, what is the status of that project? Do you know? Yes, we are looking at, uh, so it's not the, 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 the property north of De Palma is not in play. Uh, that, that, that project uh, didn't materialize. We are, um, we are looking at the property south of De Palma to see if there's something that could be done there. But we would be looking for um, a partner, somebody to build something for us um, that we would uh, possibly occupy or bring other uh, physicians and other services to. But it's, it's, it's really at, at the early stages, we have applied to have the property rezoned. What well, wasn't a rezone, it was a zoning amendment to allow us to provide um, things like uh, doctor services, mental health services, um, retail, um, life labs, or not life labs, but a lab, a pharmacy, that sort of thing. So we have a vision. We're looking to see if there's anybody else that, that would share that vision and, uh, and build it. What is the biggest challenge ahead for the board? 
I think there's a couple. Um, one is the continuous renewal of the board. Um, it's a it's a it's a volunteer. We don't get paid. Some people think we do. We don't. It's it's time. It's energy. Um, and we we are committed to uh, to we are committed to diversity and inclusion. And it is difficult to find people. Um, from other groups that will join our board. And it's, we just, we're gonna develop strategies to do that because we think it is, and it can be an attractive offer to um, people who represent other ethnicities uh, than, than ours, than we currently have on the board. Um, but again, it's, it's, a, it's a balance. People have to be willing to put the time in and uh, youth, for example, we would like to have some young professionals join our board. Uh, but we, we have meetings at 8.30 in the morning. We have meetings at five at night. Um, it can be up to 10 hours a month and young professionals have families and, and, and businesses to run and so on. So, you know, how do we do that? So I would say that's one of our, our issues is how to recruit um, the talent, the age groups, the ethnicities, the diverse groups to our board. I don't think we are a very effective board. I'm not worried about that. It's just we want to be more representative of our of the makeup of our county. And the other um, challenge for us as a board is to prepare for a very uncertain future. And we are going to be launching, uh, starting the work on a new strategic plan this fall. And part of our preparation for that, um, I'm calling it scenario planning. There's other words, I guess, that could describe it. But we need to envision 5, 10, 20, 25 years out, what might the situation be? What might the environment be like? What might the demands on the hospital be? And, and, and have maybe even two or three possible scenarios of how what we're going to need to be prepared for. And then you start moving towards the future and you, you've You've got one scenario you think is the right one, but you establish uh, milestones along that way that, that tell you, okay, if this happens, you're in the wrong scenario, you better move over to one of the other ones. And, th and that's very simplistic. It's a, there's a whole, whole, I would say, not science around it, but a philosophy around it. But we're committed to trying to bring the resources to our, to, um, our strategic planning session, the expertise, the Ontario um, Hospital Association is also uh, looking at doing this and we may be calling on them for some help. But I would say that's our, our biggest challenge is how do we, how are we prepared? Although there were people like Bill Gates who predicted the pandemic, certainly here in Northumberland County, we did not know, we did not have that on our radar screen. Now that we've seen one, obviously we need to be prepared, but will it be the same? So I would say, it's also an exciting challenge. It's not a challenge in a negative way. It is, okay, how do we do that? How do we do our best job to, to have the infrastructure in place for the future that right now is, is completely unknown? Pam Wind, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. You're welcome, Rob. Always a pleasure. That was Pam Wendt, Chair of the Board for the Northumberland Hills Hospital. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in.
If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.